it is difficult, if not uh, absolutely uh, it, to, unable to find any information, any uh, ammunition on any shelves anywhere. Uh, I know around here, not on, I know that uh, certain people have messaged me and said that they were able to find ammunition, but generally it's hard to find any ammunition anywhere, and that includes rimfire ammunition. And we asked folks at Appleseed to shoot uh, around 500 rounds over the course of a two-day rifle marksmanship clinic that Appleseed provides. And it's beginning very difficult for anybody to find any ammunition. So I don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, now, I know that certain people have also messaged me and said they've found ammunition at certain places. Uh, if you can make sure that you post that, uh, on the forum board so that we can get uh, uh, we can at least have information where folks can go and buy ammunition, ammunition. we can uh, either send them to it or we can buy it and then uh, uh, and maybe distribute it when they when the folks get there uh, I don't know how we're going to get past this also uh, I want to send my condolences out to the New York crowd because New York has made running an apple seed in the traditional way that we run it has made it illegal. All right? Apple seeds are now illegal to be run in a traditional manner in New York. Uh, I know you guys have heard of the, the latest uh, laws being passed there by New York, and part of it is that the uh, magazines over 10 rounds are are now illegal. Now, folks can have 10-round magazines, like at Appleseed, but putting more than seven rounds into a magazine will make you a criminal. Putting more than seven rounds into a 10-round magazine will make you criminal. Uh, an Appleseed instructor who tells his crew to load one magazine with two rounds and one magazine with eight rounds is advising them all to be criminals. So uh, I don't know what they're going to do there. Uh, I imagine uh, it can be everything can be switched to five and five or three and seven, but the fact that they have made it illegal to have more than seven rounds in a magazine is uh, is to me almost the height of silliness. Because who does this affect, really? Do you think that uh, criminals, do you think that several criminals who've, who have gotten into their stolen vehicle and they're going to go and do an, uh, a robbery or they're going to go and uh, murder somebody and uh, they have their illegal firearms in the vehicle and it's illegal for them to have them already because they're all felons. Do you think that this is going to stop them, that they're going to say, look, I'm willing to be a felon in possession of a firearm. I'm willing to be in a stolen vehicle. I'm willing to commit conspiracy, uh, conspiracy, breaking a conspiracy law by having several of us discussing a criminal act and then going and doing it. I'm willing to murder somebody, but I have my limits, okay? And I will not put more than seven rounds in my magazine. I think that this, this is a height of silliness. I think all it does is now expose 
a huge group of law-abiding citizens to becoming criminals. If you're if you're uh, prepping your magazine at an apple seed or at home or somewhere else, and you're counting the rounds off, and uh, and your children come up and ask you something, and you lose track, and you put that eighth round in, you're a criminal now. This is it's unbelievably silly, and uh, I don't know what is going to happen. Uh, I know that I've talked to several folks in New York, and they said that while they uh, are trying as hard as they can to put together some some form of organized protest, that they really doubt that it's going to go anywhere. So this may just stay the way it's going to be in New York. And if so, what is going to happen with the rest of the nation? Uh, I myself, I think that this this whole idea of this knee-jerk reaction to this is absolutely insane. We have millions of people out there who know nothing about firearms, and we have lawmakers. Now, lawmakers, their sole purpose is to make law, right? So what are they going to do in order to satisfy the demands of their constituents? Because all they can do is make a law. That's all they can do. So what are they going to do? Well, uh, apparently they're going to have to make some laws to satisfy the constituents, right? Because there's nothing else they can do. They're in that they're in that stuck in that rut of uh, of a carpenter who only has a, a hammer in his tool bag. So that's it. So if he only has a hammer in his tool bag, every problem looks like a nail. And that's what's happening with the lawmakers. All they know how to do, all they're allowed to do is make laws. So in this knee-jerk reaction to this, they're going to have to make a law. They're going to have to to make a law to do something to show that they're doing something. And all of the folks who don't do it, who don't agree to it, uh, are going to be called uh, heartless and, uh, and cruel and criminal if they don't agree to go along with some silly law uh, then they're going to look like uh, they're going to look like they have no no compassion for the the victims in Sandy Hook. Uh, I wish I wish that we citizens could make some kind of a law that says uh, that uh, that nobody can make any kind of laws or discussion on making laws. Uh, until the the dust settles, at least until all of the victims are are in their graves, because what they're doing now is absolutely silly. Uh, this is no different than than uh, than for me to cut myself on the page of a book, get a paper cut, and then while my eye, my eyes are still filled with tears, I run to my mother and tell her to ban all books because this book hurt me. Uh, I'm just I'm very angry about this tonight and uh, as you can see and and I invite you you guys to call in Uh, I can't see the switchboard or anything but Sam can you guys can call in the number is 347-308-8790 347-308-8790 and uh I know that we have 
a lot of folks pushing back. Uh, there are folks across the nation, including a, a great number of sheriffs, and uh, Sheriff Richard Mack is going to be on in the next couple of weeks to talk about this too, about the work that he's been doing with the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. And he's going to talk about what they have been doing in order to help push back. One of the things that you can do is you can uh, you can Google uh, sheriffs oppose federal laws, and you'll see that uh, there's probably right now at least over 40 county sheriffs who have made some statement either uh, by writing the vice president, uh, Vice President Biden or Obama, or made open declarations or open letters that they've uh, published saying that they will not enforce any laws which uh, which are not legal under the Second Amendment. They will not uh, enforce any laws uh, of the federal government trying to disarm citizens. And uh, and that's exactly what we need, and we need more of those. And uh, I want you guys to be sure, and as soon as uh, we get the dates down for Sheriff Mack, be sure and tune into that show, because what we'll need to do is we need you guys to to find out from your county sheriffs how they stand on this. Uh, the, sheriff is in a, the sheriff is an elected position, just like your uh, your senators and your congressmen. So you can find out how your sheriff feels about this, so you can make a decision on how to vote in the next elections. And uh, you can also let your sheriff know that there is an organization, I'm talking about the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, that uh, that they can get a hold of and work with, and uh, and hopefully start pushing back. Now, I have to tell you, or I will tell you anyway, because uh, I tell you every week, the very first line of defense in this is you, you the citizen. And what can you do? You can contact your senators and congressmen, and I'm talking about uh, starting at the lowest level. Contact your state reps. Let them know how you feel. Then go on to the national level. Contact your senators and representatives there. I contacted mine, and I told them that any uh, any failure to oppose the uh, the upcoming gun craziness legislation, any failure to oppose it, or any uh, any agreement with it would be an absolute deal breaker with me. That means that uh, if he does not, if he doesn't oppose it, or if he doesn't, uh, if he goes with it, then that's it. Then I don't care what the letter in front of uh, whoever is opposing him puts up, that uh, I'm not going to vote for him. And I think you need to let your senators and representatives know that. And I told you last week, that when I called mine and I asked him how many people have called in, he said, oh, there's been three or four or five people that have called in, which which to me is is heartbreaking. Uh, I shouldn't have been able to get anyone on the phone. All I should have gotten was a busy signal. Uh you guys need to make sure that you're doing your jobs in this. I know it's hard. It was hard for me when I first started because I didn't want to call. I didn't want to 
I just didn't want to do it because it was one more thing I would have to do. It was one more one more chore I was going to have to do that I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. But it's easy to do, okay? It's easy to do. Google your senator or your congressman at your state level, then at your national level. Google and find out uh, their numbers. Call in and talk to them about this. You're not going to talk to your actual rep. Now, you may in some cases. Maybe you might talk to your state rep or something like that. But that's not important. Just talk to the staffer who answers the phone. Speak to them in a polite fashion. You, no need to go off on them or start yelling or anything else. Just let them know in a polite fashion uh, your feelings on this, what you need them to do. And, uh, and let them know, okay? Uh, Sam is... Uh, uh, have you checked the switchboard? Is uh, Stuart on yet? Uh, <clears throat> all right. The the next thing you need to do is start talking to these folks who are you know, the uh, the companies who are pulling themselves away or distancing themselves from firearms because of this. Uh, there are a lot of companies out there that, that are doing this. We have uh, one of the largest gun shows in the nation, uh, I believe it's Eastern, that that put a prohibition on folks selling any semi-automatic rifles uh, at their events. And I believe that most of the... Uh, most of these show's clients, most of the exhibitors, boycotted the show, and they had to close the show down. That's the power that that we as civilians have in this. Now, in just a little bit, <clears throat> uh, Stuart Rhodes is kind of going to come on. He's going to talk to you about some things that you can do. Uh, some things that you can do as a as an individual. Now, I, I'm trying to keep uh, track of what's going on in the chat here, and uh, and I'm not going to try and answer it or an answering of it until Stuart comes on, because uh, he can give you the direct information on it uh, right from his right from his own mouth. Uh, I uh, I know. That uh, I know that this is a troubling time, and I got to tell you, I don't, I don't really understand. Uh, I don't know if the government is thinking about what they're doing or not, because you know the the current craziness, the current silliness, has certainly generated a huge amount of sales. Some of the gun companies, uh, I believe, have a one-year waiting list for rifles. Now, I was in a show in a shop uh, just a couple of days ago in Houston, uh, Fountain Firearms here in Houston. Now, they had a lot of rifles there. They were on consignment because I guess people were taking advantage of the really high prices now for a rifle to try and sell the stuff that they had. So there was 
there were tons of rifles with beta mags and everything else. But the <clears throat> the shop itself had very few rifles that it could sell. Uh, but they just seemed like they had, uh, you know, a pretty decent amount of ammunition. But if the if the government's intent was to keep firearms out of the hands of civilians, these the semi-automatics, the military-grade rifles, out of the hands of civilians, they really went about this in a silly fashion, didn't they? Because because now there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions more, in civilian hands, as well as, I would imagine, hundreds of millions of rounds of ammunition. Now, i got to tell you that when I look at this, and being a, a historian and an apple seeder, because we talk about the events uh, of 1775, you know, then I have to tell you that I certainly see, you know, a strange kind of uh, similarity there because we have uh we had General Gage who decided that to keep the the inhabitants of New England of the colonies to keep them from causing trouble, he would just go and he would uh confiscate the gunpowder, the communal gunpowder that uh, was theoretically belonged to the king. And he went out and did so and he, he uh he confiscated, uh, I don't know how many uh, hundreds or maybe thousands of pounds of gunpowder it was, but he got it and he took it and he confiscated it. And the colonists believed that that powder was theirs. I mean, they had paid for it. They had paid for it. They built the storage areas for it. And they were they were supremely upset. And Gates just figured he would keep doing this until he'd gotten all the powder out of the hands of the colonists. Well, it didn't work. What it did do was it caused the colonists to start setting up uh, intelligence-gathering intelligence gathering systems uh, for them to try and gather any intelligence so that they would know when another raid was going to be made on their powder. And they took the powder that they had, and they... Uh, they moved it out of uh, uh, out of the communal storages storage area. They they took it and they hid it and they buried it and and it it actually caused the colonists to start setting up, as I said, systems of intelligence gathering. And then also they were they were devising ways. Uh, to have a ready response to this so that uh, if they tried to come and take the powder again, then they would uh, send the word out to all of the folks and they would have them, they would, they were going to ask them to gather to defend the powder. Now, it never got to the point that they actually had to do this because the, the next two attempts that Gage made were failures. But even so, like I said, it was training the citizens on how to respond to the the English government's 
attempts to disarm them. Well, you have the same thing now. You have the the last few, uh, you, know, you can call them powder alarms, the last few powder alarms that uh, that has caused the government to to make some new silly rule, some assault weapon ban, or or any of the things that they've tried to devise in the last few years. <clears throat> and what it hasn't done is caused any uh, any lessening of there being firearms or magazines or ammunition in the hands of American citizens. In fact, it's had the opposite effect. Not only that, but it's, call, it's caused people to question their government. It's caused people to actually, people that who are law-abiding citizens, who are upstanding people, folks in the community, it has caused them to, to ask themselves questions of do they trust the government? Uh, do they feel like the government might do something bad? And a lot of them are answering yes. Uh, I've got to tell you that the folks the folks standing in line over the last month, standing in long lines to buy firearms, uh, military-grade firearms, were not buying them because they had a shooting event coming up or they were planning on going hunting uh, or because they decided they wanted to become uh, high-powered shooters, anything like that. It's because they are in fear of their government. They're in fear of what their government is doing. So I'm thinking that this has had uh, exactly the opposite effect that uh, that I can only assume that the government was trying to achieve. <laughs> so so I, I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know that they know for sure. I know that there's a lot of people that... Uh, that think that there is some type of a uh, a vast conspiracy, you know, going on with the government. But I've got to tell you myself that I don't believe that our government is competent enough to get their act together in order to form some vast conspiracy. Uh, that's not to say that I don't feel like individual members of uh, our government don't have uh, they are not plotting some type of malevolence toward us because I believe that they are. Uh, I believe there's a lot of folks who simply hate the fact that uh, that there are free men living in this nation, free men who can legally possess firearms. I think that that just drives them crazy that they can't stand it. Uh, I remember watching Chuck Schumer in the uh, at the uh, Senate investigation of the Waco shootings, and you could just see it in his eyes, and you could hear it, and certainly hear it in his voice, the contempt he had for all of the for anyone uh, who would own a firearm. And then one of the other senators, I don't remember his name now, but uh, he was he was acting uh, he was asking the counsel 
uh, for the folks who were there at Waco. There were there were two of the folks that were testifying. He was ask, asking uh, Dick DeGaron and uh, I believe it was the Army Major there who had been uh, uh, legal counsel for the folks at Waco. He was asking them if he could think of any reason, any reason why they did not think that uh, the folks at Waco were guilty of murder. And they said to for just a second, they were looking at him, and they said, well, uh, the, only, the only answer I can give you is that they were judged not guilty uh, at their trial. Because you, you do know that, right? They were found not guilty. And uh, the senator was, uh, uh, he was speechless about that, but you could see the, you could just see the fury in Chuck Schumer's face when this was going on. And he was just, I don't know any, any other way to describe it than, than hate and, uh, this hate for the folks, uh, any of the folks there who were testifying. <clears throat> so I do believe that there is, uh, that there are individuals uh, uh, who have uh, who have individual agendas. And I believe that there are some folks that, uh, uh, some groups of folks that are probably uh, plotting together to try and limit uh, Americans' freedoms. But as far as some vast conspiracy, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if they if they have their uh, if they have their act together enough to try and do something like that. <clears throat> However, they don't have to, all right, because uh because uh, just even on their even on their own, uh, it's bad enough. Okay, it seems like uh, seems like we're having some troubles with the switchboards. Uh, and Sam is going to try and work it out. I, I I really apologize to you guys for this. And if you if you hear me kind of. Uh, Pausing. Uh, that's because I'm still trying to work it out with uh, on the computer here. I'm still trying to get uh, the page to load up for me. Sam says that the switchboard for him has gone dead, and I believe he's trying to uh, to try and fix that. But this seems like uh, this seems like it's. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to fix this. How we're going to fix this problem. And it may be that uh, Stuart won't be on tonight because if we can't get the switchboard to work, then we can't get him to call. Uh, because he could call in to the number and uh, and nothing would happen. All right. Uh, while Sam's working on that, we'll continue on. So I don't. Any of you guys calling in? Uh, that's not even going to work. If you have some. Uh, some questions that you'd like me to answer, I'll be more than happy to if you put them into the chat room. And uh, I'll be glad to answer any questions that you have. I'll be glad to start uh, telling you about the 
the uh, Oath Keepers project. Uh, basically, what the Oath Keepers does, it's a nonpartisan uh, association of current and formerly serving military reserve, National Guard veterans, peace officers, and firefighters who will fulfill the oath that they swore you know, when they took their office. With the support of like-minded citizens who take an oath to stand with us to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help us God. Our oath is to the Constitution. The Oath Keeper's motto is, not on our watch. And uh, for certainly for... Uh, certainly for the the folks who are engaged in uh, the military, law enforcement, uh, anything like that, whenever you whenever you join, you have to swear in. I still remember my my swearing in uh, both times I enlisted, and uh, and it. You're swearing an oath right then and there to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You're not swearing uh, to defend the nation or to defend a president or to, to defend a Congress or a Senate. You're swearing an oath to defend the Constitution. The peace officers take the same, basically the same vows. And uh, I believe I saw in the chat room earlier, I saw someone asking a, a question uh, about if non-veterans uh, or currently serving folks could be uh, could be part of Oath Keepers. And, and I don't know for sure. Uh, okay, here it is. Even if you have never served in any of the above capacities as uh, military reserve, National Guard, uh, peace officers, veterans, or firefighters, you're still welcome to participate in the outreach efforts and join us as a citizen associate member. Okay? A citizen associate member. Now, the only reason I'm sure that they do that is because as a uh, uh as a regular citizen no one has usually no one has been asked to swear an oath to the constitution so if you've never been asked to swear an oath to the constitution then then it's then an organization which is dedicated to telling the folks who swore an oath to keep that oath, then uh, then it's I'm sure it's a little bit different. But I don't I don't see any difference in uh, in supporting an organization like that. I'm sure that you could still uh, you could still swear an oath uh, at the at an oath keepers uh, rally. You could swear an oath anywhere. But you can still swear an oath, I believe, at the Oath Keepers Rally, uh, the oath that I read to you, and I'm sure that you would become uh, a citizen member. So 
So I'm I'm trying to read while I'm while I'm talking to you. So there's I don't believe that there's much different. Uh, they have uh, they have an oath, and I'm going to try and I'm going to try and find that right now, so I can give it to you. Uh, they also have a list of oathkeeper orders, uh, which they will not obey. All right. And uh, I'm going to read those to you right now. Hold on, here we go. Uh, Number one, uh, we will not obey orders to disarm disarm the American people. We will not obey orders to conduct warrantless searches of the American people. Number three, we will not obey orders to detain American citizens as unlawful enemy combatants or to subject them to military tribunal. Now, I don't know that you that you guys understand the the seriousness or the dangerous uh, how dangerous this is for you to be declared an unlawful enemy combatant or to be subject to a military tribunal because you do not have the rights and freedoms that Americans have uh under the American judicial system. You do not have those if you're subjected to a military tribunal. Number four, we will not obey orders to impose martial law or a state of emergency on a state. They will not obey orders to impose martial law or a state of emergency on a state. Uh, This is a tricky one, too. Because under martial law or state of emergency laws, then your rights, your normal rights as an American citizen are suspended. Okay? Uh, Number six, we will not obey any order to blockade American cities, thus, thus turning them into giant concentration camps. Now, we saw a bit of this in Katrina, right? We saw the citizens of New Orleans were not allowed to leave. They couldn't they they could not leave. They were blockaded in there. Now I understand to a certain degree why they were doing this. Because they didn't want to have uh tens of thousands of folks walking down the highway and uh and invading the surrounding smaller cities and towns. Uh but there could have been some other way uh, to fix this. There could have been some other way to immediately fix this instead of locking those people into the city. Uh, we will not obey any order to force American citizens into any form of detention camps under any pretext. Now, once again, uh, once again, this is uh, uh this is something that uh, I know that well, I don't know that we have seen uh, in in most of our lifetimes. But if you look back uh, into World War II, then you will see it right there, right? Remember, they they rounded up all of the American citizens who were Japanese or of Japanese ancestry, 
and they put them into detention camps without any, without them breaking any laws, without them doing anything wrong. They rounded them up because they were of a certain race, of a certain nationality, uh, of a certain nationality in their ancestral lineage because they were American citizens. The majority of them were American citizens, and yet they routed them up and they put them into a detention camp. The Marae will not obey or orders to assist or support the use of any foreign troops on U.S. soil against the American people to keep the peace or to maintain control. This is this is how a lot of uh, other nations have been able to subjugate their populations. Uh, they knew that their own troops uh, would would resist uh, or try to resist uh, committing these acts on their own their own citizens. But they could use troops of other nationalities uh, or of other races uh, who had no problems coming in and doing whatever was needed to the citizens. Uh, number nine, will not obey any orders to confiscate the property of the American people, including food and other essential supplies. There's been a great deal of talk of this, too, that, uh, that if you, as a, uh, as a prepper, had uh, put away two years of food for you and your family, that government troops uh, would be allowed to come and take all but just a small amount that you had and redistribute it to other folks, uh, which which they have absolutely no right to do under any circumstances. And yet, it has been done before. Uh, I don't know that it has been done on American soil. There may be some cases of it. They've certainly done it uh, in other countries. Number 10, will not obey any orders which infringe on the right of the people to free speech, to peaceably assemble, and to petition their government for a redress of grievances, which are all rights that are enumerated in the Constitution. <clears throat> okay, Sam says the switchboard is back up. Uh, if he is, if Sam, have you checked to see if you've gotten uh, Stuart on there yet? And uh, if you do, be sure and let me know. And that means that you guys can also call in, and we'll be more than happy to put you guys on the air. The number is 347-308-8790. Yes, Sam? I've got Stuart here on the line. I'm going to click him into the conversation right now. All right, thanks. Well, folks, uh, Sam has just told me, I don't know if, uh, if you guys heard it, but uh, Stuart Rhodes is here, and... Uh, we're just going to bring him straight on to the show. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for being late. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Uh, I was hoping it wasn't us. Uh, we've had a, uh, I mean, an absolute car wreck of technical problems tonight. And uh, and you actually made it. If you just called in, then you just now called in when it was, when it was, uh, when it was able to do so. So. Well, good to go. To so the it show. wasn't as bad, bad as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, uh, I told everyone that uh, that you are no stranger to Appleseed. You were 
an Appleseed member and an instructor? Uh, no, I wasn't an Appleseed instructor. I, I wrote an article for SWAT magazine that you guys later on used as a handout uh, when I was right. writing. We're still spot. using that. I was going to say, we're still using that in promo material uh, today, I believe. And, Good. Uh, and uh, you are still writing, I believe, for SWAT magazine, right? Uh, no, I don't anymore. I've been so busy with Oath Keepers, I just I couldn't keep it up. So I just, I just had to turn my full attention to this mission. So, but, uh, okay. But, but definitely support Appleseed. I've, I've told Oath Keepers on several different occasions that the ground zero for them should be to go to Appleseed and shoot and learn how to shoot. Well, absolutely. Uh, I certainly agree. Listen, uh, let's just in fact, let's my kids right just, into this. Here in Montana, all, all my kids, they're all homeschooled and and they went and did an apple seed shoot. Right. Uh, let's uh, let's just go ahead and get this started off with folks. Let's get you to to give us the uh, the rundown on Oath Keepers, uh, what you guys are doing, and why you're doing it, and uh, and who you're trying to reach, and for what reason. So, uh, just go ahead and bust right into your your explanation there. Well, Oath Keepers, the mission of Oath Keepers is to focus on those who have taken an oath, either in military service, um, as, as a peace officer, you know, police officers and sheriffs and deputies, or even federal law enforcement, uh, or as a first responder. And that's the common bond we all have, for those of us who have done so, is that oath to the Constitution. And we, so we have current serving members who are you know, current police officers and sheriffs, we have current serving military and oath keepers. I just got off the phone with a police commissioner, or a fire commissioner, actually, from New York. So we have first responders and firefighters. And then, of course, we got all the veterans from all those different different services. And the focus is, is, on, is on reminding them of their oath, um, teaching them about the Constitution they sworn up to defend, and stealing their resolve to stand up and defend it. And how they defend it, of course, is different for those who are still under orders and for us veterans. It's very different. I served as a paratrooper. That's when I first took an oath. I took it later on as a lawyer, but that doesn't matter as much to me. Anywhere like the oath I took as a young soldier. And so it's that oath. And uh, and we figured that the bad guys can't do it without the support of the men with the guns. If the U.S. military stands down, game over for them. I don't care what they want them to do. I don't care how, how evil their intent. They can't do it without them. Um, and the same goes for sheriffs. And we're seeing right now a wave of sheriffs who are standing up. And I think uh, Sheriff Mack deserves full credit for that, for all the work he's been doing for quite a long time. And he's on my board of directors for Oath Keepers. And he also I saw that. I saw that he was on there. And I've, I've had Sheriff Mack on the show. And he's going to be on the – this was uh, uh, about a year and a half back. And, but he's going to be on the show again. I know he's done a great, uh, a great job with the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. Yeah. And that you guys are working along in the same vein, the same Absolutely. idea. Yeah. Well, we do. I've, I've spoken at all of his conferences, um, and he is now, CSPOA is sending a letter out to every sheriff in America, and Oath Keepers is helping him pay for that. We're, we're part of the team, the coalition, putting that letter out. Um, so we work very closely together. But I think he deserves credit for, large credit, for, for all these sheriffs standing up. Many of them, when you read their, their letters and hear their statements, they sound, they, it's obvious they've read his book. And, and so it's had an effect. It's had a, you know, a, uh, like a wave of, of of a change of mindset among sheriffs across the country. And now, because of the gun issue, more of them are standing up than ever before. 
Well, I've read uh, in the in the uh, the first part of the show. Uh, I was reading the folks the the Oath Keepers Pledge, and then I read them the uh, the ten orders that Oath Keepers will not obey, and I tried to explain uh, the why and wherefore of it. Uh, and then I had a question in the chat room about Oath Keepers not allowing uh, civilians to join, but I tried to explain that. That the 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 oath keeper, the premise of oath keepers is folks who have taken an oath. They've taken an oath somewhere in service, either the military or law enforcement, somewhere. They've taken an oath to defend the Constitution, and you're asking them to keep that oath. Now, civilians, they none of the civilians. I don't know of uh, very many places where they're where they are asked to swear an oath, but you still allow. Uh, people who haven't served, in Oath Keepers as uh, citizens, right? As associate members. And I don't really like to use the term civilians, but I mean, the, the main point, as you said, is, is to affect the people who are in the government. Look, the, the oath-breaking traitors in control of our government now take it for granted that the police and military will turn on the American people. They're counting on it. They wouldn't pass laws if they didn't believe they'd be enforced. And ultimately behind the police is, is the military. And so they're taking it for granted that once they gain political power, that all of those soldiers, I mean, look at Kissinger, he called them you know, useless or, or dumb, useful animals, he called the military. That's what they think. And so they think that once they, once they gain political power by whatever means, you know, lying about their their devotion to the Constitution and 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 violating their own oaths, that they can just do what they want. That's what they really believe. Feinstein, Schumer, Barack Obama, all of them believe they can do what they what they please. But and the whole point of Oath Keepers is to throw a monkey wrench in that and say, actually, we won't do it. The men with the guns, the men in the military and police will not do it. You know, and and if and without their support. These politicians in D.C., no matter what they want, they can't do it. So that's the whole point. Like you said, it's not its not that we're saying we're the only ones who are patriotic Americans. That's not true at all. We're just saying this is our mission. Those of us who are, are veterans are reaching out to the current serving and saying, hey, look, I was once a young soldier or a young Marine or whatever, like you are, a young police officer. I've been there, done that. I'm reaching out to you and saying we need to stand together. I've got responsibilities as a veteran. You have responsibilities as a current serving uh, police officer or soldier. You've got to stand up and do what's right. And who has more credibility when talking to a young cop than some old cop who's retired, some old sheriff? Or who has more credibility talking to some young Marine that really has some you know, old gunnery sergeant talking to him? So that's right. why credibility when talking, you know, they have a common bond. doesn't mean that you're an average Joe, but that you're somehow less than. That's not it. This is our narrow mission. And frankly, what this is is, is, is a liberty movement mission. But rather than like what Congressman Paul has done and, and the whole Ron Paul revolution has been fantastic and waking Americans up, I'm just taking that and focusing like a laser on the guys, guys with the guns. Right. And uh, and you're right. I shouldn't be using the term civilian because uh, because this isn't a military organization. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure that and I use it. And the cops are not military either. I don't like what cops use the term civilian. They're right. not, part right. of the, not part of the military. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're they're simply citizens uh, who are empowered to uh, enforce the local laws. Right. Uh, 
And I sent a, uh, and I want to tell you thanks because uh, I contacted uh, Stuart today to ask him if he, if the organization uh, could get me some literature to uh, to put out to folks. And he's, he and uh, his crew have been absolutely fantastic in in helping me to do that. And I sent a letter back, and I don't know if it got to you or not, but I was just thinking when I wrote it that uh, that I I really. Uh, I really like the way that you guys have, become, have gotten a bit more aggressive in your in your websites and your literature and stuff like that as far as promoting the uh, Oath Keepers because it's very important, the, the idea that you're putting out because when I was a young soldier and I was overseas serving when I just turned 17 and, uh, and I, luckily I never had to uh, I never had to do anything against uh, American citizens, uh, and but I thought about it a couple of times, uh, you know, because it comes up in the military. The question always comes up, no matter when you serve or anything else. The question always comes up, and and I remember thinking about it, but uh, but it was very disturbing to me, so I just tried not to think about it, and that was really the wrong thing because when you you need to have a response, a predetermined response to certain situations, to certain things. Because if not, right. you're going to get stuck. You'll get stuck in a in a moment where where when you should act one way instead of another, you don't because in your mind you're following orders. And it's very important to figure out what you're going to do in advance. Now, we teach this all the time. In uh, in combat survival shooting, uh, we teach the, we tell the folks all the time: you need to have a predetermined response. You need to, need to be trained. You need to know what you're going to do. You can't come upon a situation and start to think or try and figure out what you're going to do at that point. There's no time for it. You need to uh, you need to know what you're going to do and then act on it right there. So I think it's important that you guys are already getting uh, that the folks are getting this uh, this question. So that they know what their answer is going to be. Right. Uh, that's, a, so, that's exactly right. Yeah. Just just like when you do whether it's hand to hand combatives or blade work or or combat handgunning or rifle, it's all the same. Like you said, you need to need to have your your pre planned responses or at least a small selection of possible options, like a reaction to an ambush. You know, you need to have that stuff wired in and already worked up so that you're ready to go. You know, or using color, you know Cooper's color code of awareness. And response, you need to have reactions wired in, and so you got to visualize ahead of time. And just like you visualize how you're going to fight in combat, that's the same thing we're trying to get the military and police to do: is think about the stuff ahead of time, visualize for yourself scenarios that you might be involved in, like a repeat of Katrina, for example, and decide ahead of time what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. And that's the whole point of that Declaration of Ten Orders; it's a teaching tool, because all it really is is a reflection of our Bill of Rights. And you well, can it's getting that. To think about it, but that, well, yeah, a lot be, of folks have right. never really thought about what what would I do in a situation like that. Folks just haven't thought about it, and if you haven't thought about it, then you just revert to your to your training, which would be right. to do do or whatever it is, training. either shoot or or follow the orders. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's, that's that's what happened in Katrina, is you had guys who like National Guardsmen or, heck, the 82nd Airborne active duty guys on the streets of Katrina. Um, and they get decent 
education and the laws of war, which works fine overseas. But when they're used here inside the United States, kind of running up against the Bill of Rights, and if they haven't had good training on that and they haven't thought about it ahead of time, they're more likely to go along with stuff. And we saw that during Katrina. And so that's kind of the whole point, is it gives them to think ahead of time. Using Katrina as an example, saying, look, don't do that. Here's why you don't do that. Think about it now. Make a decision now. And it is it is working. I mean, all these sheriffs standing up is a good example. Because they've read Sheriff Mack's book, because they've had um, constituents contact them and say, hey, what about your responsibility as a sheriff to stand up and say no? What about your responsibility to nullify? Attention centers gone around the country teaching seminars on nullification. I've spoken to a few of those. You know, Oath Keepers works on, you know, focused on the oath. All of that stuff is starting to bubble up to the surface, you know, just like with the Ron Paul Revolution. The people are learning about these principles, like nullification, for example, and learning about April 19th, you know, for your efforts. You know, another, another good example is what you guys teach. And, hey, you guys teach active duty military. You guys got National Guardsmen and, and, and active duty Army, and they hear about that. And so, you know, and, and then they hear about something else from a different angle, and then, then like, they see a billboard, like one of our billboards we're putting up outside of bases. They're going to be focused on, you know, we, we've been focusing on NDAA, but now we're going to focus on the gun issue, you know, order number one, we're not just some Americans. So the more they hear from different places, they start thinking about this stuff. But that is the whole point. Think about it ahead of time. Well, Make a decision ahead of time. You brought up the uh, the National Defense Authorization Act. Let's let's talk about that for just a second because I now I have talked to the folks listening to about this, but uh, I don't I don't think I can say it enough about how dangerous this is. Uh, so really understand how dangerous what a, a dangerous position that that puts American citizens in. If you can be if you can be labeled by somebody, because I'm not sure that there's uh, anything written down about who can label you, but if you are labeled a terrorist, then you can, uh, for all intents and purposes, you can just disappear, uh, maybe forever. And, yeah, well, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, what it's saying is, it's, is it refers to the president's power, and basically what Congress did in, in the NDAA of 2012 is to affirm what they had, what they say they had done back in 2001, in the AUMF, you know, authorization for use of military force. Um, they, that AUMF has been interpreted as authorizing the use of military force, military detention, and military trial, not just on foreigners but also on U.S. citizens. And so, what Congress did in, in, in the in the NDAA is, is to say, hell yeah, that's what we meant. Yes, we, we openly authorize, we affirm that we authorized military detention, military trial, or extraordinary rendition, they even say, which is turning you over to a foreign entity or a foreign, foreign government. And so, but, you know, an important point to make, though, is that even before the NDAA, first President Bush, then Obama, claimed this authority, this power as commander-in-chief to apply the laws of war, not just to people in Iraq and Afghanistan, but also to you here in the United States. And they have done so. Bush detained two American citizens, Jose Padilla and Yasser Hamdi, both of them detained in a military brig, no grand jury indictment, no jury trial, no criminal due process whatsoever in the military system instead. Now, why is that unconstitutional? Article 3 is the answer to that. Article 3, Section 2 mandates that the trial of all crimes shall be by jury, and then Article 3, Section 3 
defines the crime of treason and tells you what must be done with an American accused of making war against his own country or aiding the enemy. It's a trial, a public trial, in front of a jury of his peers, and it requires two witnesses to the same overt act or confession in open court. So the founders already told you what must be done. They're violating that provision directly. And then, of course, you can add on to that the fourth step and sixth amendments. So what they're really saying is, is that the laws of war, international law, trumps the U.S. Constitution, trumps the Bill of Rights, wipes it all away, and they can, they can put you in the same posture as some goat herder in Afghanistan just by calling you an unlawful combatant. And who gets to do that? The president or anybody he delegates the power to, some guy in the, in the DOD. So right. it's an outrageous claim of power. They basically claim the power that the president has the same power of life and death over everyone. He can just kill you if he wants to by predator drone strike. Um, same yeah, power as Hitler had or Stalin. So. And we've we've already seen this. Uh, we've already seen this going on with what they've been doing with the uh, with the enemy combatants, as they're named. Uh, and a lot of folks that are in uh, Guantanamo, and the folks that uh, they decided that uh, that if the United States couldn't uh, uh, couldn't perform interrogation and certain things in certain ways, then they would just whisk them off to uh, another country right. and have them interrogated there. Right, and, and that's that's the thing is this is so what what has been done since nine eleven. Everything that's been done overseas is going to come here because they're saying there is no legal difference whatsoever between a guy holding Guantanamo or someone predator drone in Pakistan. There's no difference between what they do over there and what they can do here. They claim the same power here. They haven't done it yet. There hasn't yet been a predator strike in the United States against a U.S. citizen, but they killed two U.S. citizens overseas. Al Waki and his teenage son, and you know, but don't think that you're safe just because you're in the U.S. Their claim is, and this is what you hear from Lindsey Graham, Republican, and John McCain, another Republican, and from Carl Levin, the Democrat. It's bipartisan. They all say the same thing: your citizenship's irrelevant. This is a a world war against terrorism. The United States is a battlefield in that war, and they claim the same power here. Don't fool yourself into thinking there's some kind of distinction that's going to save you. So, frankly, all this uproar about the Second Amendment, everyone who's up in arms now and talking about revolution should have been talking about revolution back in 2001, should have been talking about it again in 2004 when the Supreme Court ruled in Hamdi, the Hamdi case, that nothing in the Constitution prevents the U.S. government from detaining one of its own citizens as an unlawful combatant. You should have been up in arms then. And then you should have been up arms again after the NDA got passed. We have we have let them claim this absurd power of life and death over us over over a decade, and no one's done. You know, I mean, yes, there's people who are speaking out against it, but you know, I, I guess apparently Americans are the same as they were back in, in 1775. Only when they come for your guns do you guys finally stand up and say no more. So if that's what it takes, I think it's a blessing and a gift. But they're coming for our guns now. Let's get it over with now before there's 30,000 predator drones over our skies. Let's get it done. Well, I think that the that a great deal of the trouble is because, uh, you know, right now as an American, well, as probably anybody in the world, you you are flooded. You're 
you're washed over with uh, tons of information every day. And for you to try, for a lot of the folks to try and uh, to understand what, like the National Defense Authorization Act and the, the earlier uh, stuff pushed through Congress, uh, I think it's hard for them to get a grip on what it is. Uh, you know, even to even to figure out what it is, let alone uh, to begin any kind of active uh, protest, because it is hard to get Americans uh, off their couches and to do anything. I I was telling folks earlier that uh, that I've been calling my congressmen, my senators, to let them know how I feel, make sure that they that they know how I feel about what's been going on. I've been doing this forever. But when I called last time, I asked how many people uh, have been calling in, you know, what the numbers of callers were. And they said, oh, yeah, there's been quite a few callers. I believe I've had – there's been uh, four or five in the last two days. And I just – I just – my heart was breaking because I was thinking, I said, something as important as this and there's four or five callers. Uh, now that – and our district is pretty large. So – to get them to do anything is really very, very hard. I think it's going to, as it always has, I think it's going to fall on the shoulders of just a few to to fix this, if it's well, simple, because I don't know that it is. Well, one thing I'll say is that it's a reflection of human nature. The founding, and here's a lot. It's like, well, Americans putting up with all this crap, you know, they're not going to ever, ever resist but then I have to remind them that, look, you know, even the founding generation, as aware as they were about their rights, it took a long train of abuses over well over a decade's period of time for them to finally stand up and have to fight. And they, and they tried everything they could for peaceful remedy. You know, they boycotted, um, they smuggled. And, you know, John Hancock was a notorious smuggler to get around the restrictions of the Crown, right. and all these things. Um, and... They put up with denial of jury trial. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, it says right there, one of the causes of taking up arms was that he had, in many cases, denied us the benefit of trial by jury. And that was exactly. done by a statute passed by Parliament. And so that, and they used courts of admiralty instead. So they, they did the same thing that our Congress is now doing, circumventing the normal due process and using so, you know, claims of extraordinary power and applying military law. And so they put up with that. They put up with warrantless searches, of assistance, denial of jury trial, confiscation of property, impressment of their, of their men into the British Navy. They put up with all kinds of stuff. Martial law in Boston under General Gage. Even that didn't do it. You know, but every, in each one of those things, the Stamp Act and all of that, what it did is, is, it, is it pushed more people to the side of the patriots, and they still didn't fight. And, and the reason was is they were still trying to reconcile and trying all the peaceful remedies and, and, and using nullification and, and resistance. And then they had to fight when it came for their guns. And we're in a similar pattern. We've already had, you know, the NSA spying us without warrant. We've got these extraordinary powers that are being claimed. The creation of DHS. What is DHS for? It's not for the friggin' Al-Qaeda. Do you think that they're putting together all these fusion centers that are like bunkers and armored and, and, and you know, thick concrete walls? Is that for Al-Qaeda? No, it's for you. Just like Patrick Henry said in his famous speech, who are these armies for? They are meant for none other. They're for us. It's the same thing here. 
And so we see this pattern, and it's building up and building up. And, and you wonder, you know, why are Americans waking up? Why can't they see this? Well, now that they're coming for the guns, it's waking people up because much like the Stamp Act, it impacts everyone. It's not some theoretical one day you may get black bagged. It's they're going to tell you that you have to go register like a sex offender. You have to go down there and get photographed and fingerprinted like you're some kind of convicted molester. And that is going to impact people directly and personally. And we've seen already in New York gun owners saying we're just not going to comply. And so they're waking up. Well, we were talking about that before you came on. I was talking about the fact that New York, we can't conduct apple seeds there anymore in a traditional manner. If we... If we tell folks to prep magazines two and eight, then we've asked them to commit a crime, and uh, which, of course, I had my big rant on earlier because what is that law really for? What is that law for? Because I can guarantee you that if I were a convicted felon in possession of a firearm in a stolen vehicle in conspiracy with three or four other people to go and commit a robbery or murder – that I'm not going to all of a sudden say, you know what, I, I do have limits, and this is one that I will obey. The only I'm around, around. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's all, and that's all I'm going to do. So what does it really do? All it really does is it opens up uh, millions of law-abiding citizens in New York into to becoming uh, potential criminals. Uh, and I don't understand why they're, they don't see it. And I know that some of them, New York, New York is already one of those states that already had very oppressive laws, and they're just they're putting it on their back like the colonists, saying, "Okay, here's one more, here's one more of the intolerable acts, and we'll just we'll have to suffer through it." And uh, and I know that there's a great deal of folks that are very angry about it, but I don't know that they're going to do anything. Well, and, I think they will. I think I think there's there has been a since the last assault weapons ban wave both at the federal and state level in 94, there has been a hardening of the attitudes of gun owners, and I think it's, it's appropriate. And, and I do think that quite a few of them are just not going to comply. Um, and, this is, and this is the whole, this is the, the window of opportunity we have right now we need to seize. We need to be saying, yes, the proper response is nullification as individuals, nullification as, as communities, Neighborhoods, counties, you know, states, everything, and including not just the people themselves, but also the sheriffs and the police, all standing together and saying, we will not comply. We will not enforce this, and further, we will defend our people against it. The police need to be committed to interposing themselves and these sheriffs. And the veterans of the community had better stand up and say, we will back our sheriff up. We will service his posse, and, you know, this is it. Draw your friggin' line. Make your decision right now. Make peace with yourself and God and decide where you're going to stand on that line. And either you're either you're a patriot or you're a redcoat. And now is the time to choose. And so we're, well, going, to, we're going to put a call out and say the deadline is April 19th. I'm going to do this over the weekend and write this up. That's your friggin' deadline. April 19th, and the message is in every county, you go and, and, and put your sheriff on the spot, your, your chief of police and all his men, you decide by that deadline what side you're on. Either you're a patriot or a redcoat. We want a public statement from you about which side you're on. And if you won't give us that that statement by April 19th, then we're going to do the next day, April 20th, we file for recall. 
we filed a recall the sheriff, recall recall the, the county commissioners. Anybody who's elected who has not stood up and said publicly that they will defend the Second Amendment will get recalled. Make your decision. That's perfect. Well, you know, you were mentioning the the colonists uh, and the and the way they kept getting pushed and kept getting pushed. <clears throat> and I, 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 in the beginning of the show, I was talking to the folks. I told them, I said, you know, I see, I see almost the same thing going on now as then. And once again, to me, it seems like a folly by the government over the over the last, uh, I don't know, eight or ten years because. Uh, General Gage decided that the way he was going to make the colonists shut up and uh, do what he wanted to do was just take their powder. They didn't have any powder, then they couldn't fire on on the troops, and that's the end of that. He didn't have to go and get the the firearms. He just was going to take all the powder. So he had a powder raid, and it was successful for him by getting the powder. Uh, But the the unintended consequences was there were approximately 20,000 folks who had grabbed their rifles and were on the road. Uh, and then there were subsequent powder raids and powder alarms. Now, the effect this had on the colonists was it was actually training them to set up uh, intelligence-gathering systems. It was training them to design and develop responses to it. So rather than it being something that was good for the government, it was actually bad for it because they were training the colonists in how to respond to this. Right. They've got the same thing with the government now. I, I don't I, I don't know. I, I can't fathom what they're trying to do. I said earlier that I, I, I'm not one of those people who thinks that there's a vast conspiracy because I don't think the government has ever had its act together enough to do something like that. But I do think that there are a, good, a large group of folks with evil intent but if their intent was to disarm uh, the citizens, they have certainly had the exact opposite effect. Uh, they have put millions of firearms and hundreds of millions of uh, rounds of ammunition into the citizens' uh, possession. And you see these right. folks standing in line for hours to buy rifles. And I tell folks, I go, look, these folks are not they're, – they're standing in line not because they they have a sudden urge to go target shooting or a sudden urge to go hunting. They're, they're standing in line to buy military-grade firearms because they're in fear of their government. Yeah, I mean, not only is Barack Obama the most successful gun salesman, ammo salesman, but he's also – he actually is a wonderful community, community organizer, you know, really is. Because he's now organizing communities across the country to resist him, and that's what's happening: is people are organizing, not they're not just going to gun, st- gun stores and, and gun shows and buying the gear. They're also getting together and talking about what they're going to do and their planning. And the same thing's happening inside of sheriff's departments, and the same thing's happening inside of military units. What you have just seen with the sheriffs is the tip of the iceberg. And it, I'll bet you, if you'd asked. Feinstein and Obama and everybody else a year ago, if sheriffs would stand up like this and say no, a preemptive refusal, even before the laws passed, they were saying you're not going to comply with it. They would have said no. Well, that same that same reality is also true in the military. You can ask them right now if they think the military will do what they're, what they're told down the road, and of course they'll, they'll say yes, but they got nothing coming to them. 
the discussions are already right. happening in the military, and the same thing you're seeing with the sheriffs is what will happen in the military too. There will be well, whole units who will say no. I think that if uh, I remember thinking when uh, when Obama was first, uh, when it looked like he might be elected, and I remember thinking then that that if he were to come in right then and there and just the first article of business, the first day, would be to uh, mobilize all of the forces and have them go out and do a gun confiscation, it probably could have worked. Uh, I don't know. You know, who knows? I'm sure there would be some of this. There would have been a huge split even back then. But, but now, now there's, there's, no way, there's no way at all that it could happen now. It just it couldn't. It's, it's, well, there, there's been too much... The one caveat to that is, is is if they were to trigger an economic collapse, this is what I worry about most, is, and as you know, our economy is, is already teetering on the edge. If that, if, if I was putting on my evil Machiavellian hat, I would say their best game plan would be to collapse the economy, um, put Americans into desperation and destitution and hunger for a month or two, and then come in and say, you know, we're bringing, we're coming to rescue. Here comes the cavalry. FEMA's coming in, and DHS, and all these evil gun owners are keeping the trucks from running in. These hardcore um, extremist patriots are the ones that are to blame for the trucks not coming in to feed you. So you need to turn them in. That'd be their best game plan. And just like in Katrina, if it seems like a real emergency and people are desperate and hungry, that's when you'll have more of the police and more of the military going along with it because it's perceived as a real emergency. So that's why we encourage people to strengthen their communities as much as possible now. Make sure you got food storage, comma, and medical, not just as individuals, but also as, you know, in your veterans' halls and your community groups get squared away so that there's no pretext. There's no emergency. You're handling your own business, your, your own security. You don't need outside help. There's less of a, an excuse to send the military in. And your neighbors are less desperate so that they're not, you know, running around starving and, and begging for the FEMA trucks to come in and, and take the stamp, you know. So well, the mark of the beast. So, you know, the more squared away we are, because right now we're not. Most Americans don't have food storage. Most counties do not have a militia. They don't have a posse. They have no local security. It's all ad hoc. You know, you wind up doing security ad hoc. So it's time to get squared away as counties right now get squared away. So that's what we're, what's what we're going to focus on as counties. We're going to call on people to focus on their county. Their county should be a Milan Bay county. Make sure it's ready, willing, and able to stand up and draw the line and say, we will take care of our own security. We don't need you. And further, don't try to put your gun control laws down our throats. We're going to stand up together as a county. So for the question out there for everybody listening is, is your county a come-and-take-it county? Or is your county a bend over and take it county? Which is it? Right. So, you know, figure it out right now. Get get your act together in your county. Not just online, talking to each other across the Internet. Not just on the Appleseed Forum or, or the Oak River Forum. In your county. Who is squared away in your county? Are the gun owners squared away? Are the veterans squared away? Are they ready and prepared? Is your sheriff on your side? Find out now. Right. The uh, one of the messages that I keep pushing here on the radio show uh, is for folks to be prepared, and uh, and I go through all the 
uh, all the reasons why, and uh, we have uh, we've had several guests on who uh, to talk to them about that because you know, so the folks as as Appleseed members, you're, I think that you have a commitment not just to uh, not just to to stay alive in a situation like an economic collapse or anything like that, but I think you have a commitment to be able to to function well enough that you can help your neighbors and your community. And that the more people that you get to understand this, then the stronger your community will be. Because like you said, food certainly is a powerful motivator. And uh, if everybody if everybody has enough to take care of themselves and a few others, then, uh, then they have less reason uh, to do anything which would compromise them. And they have a stronger community that way. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I can see a situation like that uh, developing, and as far as an economic collapse, I, I don't. I just don't know that that there's anything that we're going to be able to do to prevent that. I think we've already set ourselves up uh, for that no, to happen. You can't, can't prevent so. it, but it's just about it's about how strong you're going to be during it. Um, it's coming, so embrace the suck, realize that it's coming, and get ready. You know, if you've got food storage and if you've got your combo and, and your medical set up, then you can ride it out. But if you don't and you're all desperate and hungry and your neighbors are desperate and hungry, that's when you're more likely to sacrifice your liberty for a friggin' sandwich, you know, and you're right. able to turn you in. If you're the one standing up and, and saying no to roadblocks and mandatory gun turn-ins and crap like that, and and then they say, well, you know, you're the reason why the trucks aren't coming in. You know, you better make sure you got food for your neighbors. Yeah, we should have extra bags of rice and beans and oatmeal, which are dirt cheap right now. Storm away from right. the neighbors so they're not starving. And uh, and being having been a uh, member of the military and having having been in riot control situations, I can tell you that uh, that it is very easy for. For to for your mindset to be one where you would be willing to to do somebody harm, uh, you know you're standing there in the gear all day long, you got people throwing rocks at you and uh, and yelling and screaming and you're hot and some of the tear gas that they've already sprayed out is is all over you too, and, uh, and pretty soon you start hating those people on the other side, and it's very easy to get that them and us mindset. If you haven't already thought about it, if you haven't already said, look, no matter what no matter what I have to go through, no matter what comes down, I am not going to do this. I'm not going to uh to do things which I swore uh, that I would not do. Right. And and I think it's extremely important. We've got a we got several folks on the phone that want to talk to you. Sure. But uh, I think that our switchboard is still down. Yep. Uh, Sam says that the switchboard is still dead. You know, I, I couldn't even uh I couldn't even open up the studio to get access to the show. And I still can't. Uh I'm just depending on uh on my co host to work the board. So uh no, he tells me what I ask maybe he can give Convey it to us, and we'll we'll fire back an answer. 
Right. If any of you guys are on the chat room, if you're all in the chat uh, that are uh, want to ask questions, if you'll put it into the chat room, then I will we'll relay it to Stuart, and he can answer your questions. Okay. Yeah, I love I love I love live I love uh, calling. I think it's great. I love to answer questions. Scout, okay. I think we're back up now. Okay, Sam. All right, thanks. Sam says that we're back up, so let's go ahead and take the first uh, the first caller. I believe it's Cal, right? Cal, welcome right. to the show. Very much. Uh, thanks, Stuart. Um, I will keep my pitch brief because uh, Sam uh, can tell you how to uh, contact me offline. But uh, I have an idea, a proposal. I've pitched it to uh, the Montana Alliance for Liberty and the Montana Liberty Movement, and I've had some good responses there. I would like to see uh, some liberty-minded people leverage your personal pledge of resistance in a public way on a site where people can also take the pledge. I think the numbers would be substantial. I think that... Uh, I'm uh, what was that? Do what now? Oh, okay, I would like to leverage your personal pledge of resistance uh, that you posted on Oathkeeper's website. Uh, right. I, would like to, uh, I would like to leverage it into a, a website where um, any liberty-minded person can take a similar pledge or, or perhaps, you know, uh, we'll use it as a model. I think we're going to need some help. Uh, we're going to need a lawyer and even better, a constitutional scholar such as yourself. Um, well, I, I got, think I've that a large number. If you've yeah. seen our pledge page, Go we've ahead, got please. one called MilanLadayPledge.org that we okay. recently put up, and there is a pledge there. Um, There's a general pledge, and we're writing one for peace officers, one for veterans, um, and one for military and one for just general gun owners. So I don't know if you all have seen yeah, that. Yeah, I'd just like to see one for we the people uh, because, you know, political sure. action, I think, we, you know, we need to advance this beyond political action. I, I think we need to take pledges, not as constituents, and we need to make sure that uh, members of all three branches of government, executive, right. congressional, and even the judicial branches are aware of the numbers of people taking a pledge like yours. Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point of that. So go check it out. Go to, go to Milan LeBay Pledge. Dot org. I know I'm mis- mispronouncing it. Long Leve, I guess it is in, in Greek. But that's the pledge page, and that's kind of the idea. There is that, you know, in every county, you should have all the veterans sign a pledge, all the gun owners, because in the veterans, you know, it is a di- distinct pledge for them because of their oath. Um, and then you go sure. to your county commissioners and you say, look, we want you to pledge, and we want you to do a, a nullification resolution against this. Um, and we, like, Ted Bimmons Center's got a really nice one that, that they put out. We can use that. And you go to your sheriff and you say, hey, sheriff, we want you to sign this pledge. And Sheriff Mack has just written one for sheriffs. We're going to mail out to every sheriff in the United States. Um, we'll put that up on our pledge site real soon, too. So, you know, have ready-made mm-hmm. pledges you can pass out at gun shows, to gun stores, any Tea Party rally, wherever you are. You can say, hey, sign this. You know, we, we, take, we take a stand. We're not going to register ourselves. We're not going to register our weapons. We're not going to turn anything in. We're digging a line in the sand right here. And then go to your yeah. go to your elected officials and say, we want you to do likewise. That's right. Yeah. Okay, very good. It may already exist, and I just need to help, and everybody here, help get the word out. Because uh, I can just see how uh, even 100,000-plus pledges uh, just coming from we, the people, uh, really should have some impact. And, you know, I'd be happy to spend 300 bucks in stamps just to make all the members of all three branches of government aware of these pledges. <laughs> Thanks and, so much. And give me a favor and contact me. Uh, Mike can give you uh, my my contact info or scout. Give me, give me my contact yeah. info and, and please oh, that'd contact be great. me. I used to have it. We had a very cordial uh, exchange in email several years ago, but I'm afraid I lost your email. Thanks. Okay, well, we'll hook you up. I'll, get, I mean, I'll, I'll hook you up with that. Just send me 
send me a uh, a uh, a an email. You can get me on the forum or send me an email. Uh, it is uh, rwva range scout all one word lowercase at gmail dot com, and uh, I will be glad to uh, to get you hooked up. And just kind of piggyback on that, what we're going to be doing is, is using Facebook of, to organize um, calling on grassroots organization in every county. And, you know, on that same theme, April 19th is the deadline. Let's get it squared away. Think of it like a three-month burst of activity, a sprint. Between now and April 19th, how squared away can you get your county to be? How many of your fellow gun owners can you get to sign a pledge? And I don't care if you rewrite it in your own words. I don't. Who cares? You guys sign a dedicated pledge, as and go to your veterans halls, and every every freaking VFW commander should be pressured to get his guys together and make a decision and, and sign a pledge as a veterans hall. If they won't do it, if they're all squishy, well then you just go to the individual um, veterans. You'll you can meet them at gun shows, get a booth at a gun show, put a big pledge table up there, take the dang pledge, and then you go to your county commissioners and your chiefs of police, et cetera, and say, look, man, deadline's April 19th. Clock is ticking. We're watching you. April 19th rolls around. If you haven't pledged to defend our bark to bear arms, the very next day we're going to file for for um, for a uh, recall effort against you. Recall you. Mm-hmm. So. Well, certainly anyone can write a pledge of resistance, but uh, without uh, some care, if if all care is cast to the wind, you might have some SWAT teams appearing on your uh, doorstep. <laughs> What's that now? Oh, I was just saying that if if you cast all care to the wind in writing a pledge oh, of resistance, sure. no, we'll, we'll, we'll put up SWAT teams on your the doorstep. Point is, I'm not trying to be the, the grand wizard. Yeah. I'm just we're going to put right. up what we, we recommend, and, and and you guys go run with it, you know, just like you do with your shoots. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you yep. improvise and, and you deal with your local environment. Some places will be more hardcore than others. It all depends on how you know how far you want to go. You know, mm-hmm. so. right? Okay, right. thanks. And that thanks. was. Um, Sam, that was RV, uh, RWVA Range, uh, Range Scout at yeah. Appleseed.org. Was that it? Okay, thanks. No, at, uh, at gmail.com. Oh. oh, it's Gmail. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah. RWVA Range Scout at do... gmail.com. Oh, sorry. And I think people should do these open fair rallies. I think they're great. You know, so April 19th should be the day you guys all have massive rallies all over the country, in, in every county, though, not just at the state capitol, but inside your county, right in front of your sheriff's office, you know, or, or your or your town hall, or your county, or your, uh, you know, your county um, courthouse. Well, I was telling folks earlier, I said, look, you have to get, the, the, the way that this gets fixed isn't, uh, isn't by sitting back and banging on the television, which is what I used to do, uh, you know, or, or your desk or whatever, or throwing stuff and yelling. Because I felt, uh, you know, many years ago, that was my that was my only response. It was the only thing I could do because I couldn't do anything else. And then, uh, and then I started working with Appleseed. But I'll tell you guys that the best the best way to do this is uh, is that uh, is that you, Cal? Oh, I'm sorry. That could be just the noise in the background. I'll mute. Okay. Uh, the best way to do this is you're going to start locally. And one of the first places you can go to is to your local sheriff's office because they are they are elected officials. They're the highest-ranking uh, law enforcement officers in your county. And talk to them. Uh, you can feel them out about this. You can take information 
from Oath Keepers and from the CSPOA, from the uh, Constitutional Sheriff's and Peace Officers Association. Take that to them. Maybe they haven't heard of it. And you don't have to say anything. You don't have to push them or pull them or anything else. You just say, look, I had some information here that I thought you might find useful. And would you please read this? And then, uh, and then you know, do, think about it uh, and and then let us know how you feel because uh, we would like to base who we vote for this next year uh, or uh, or the year after. We'd like to base who we vote for on their responses to this and right. get them, like you said, get them to make a declaration. Either they're for it or they're not for it, one or the other. Right. Uh, That's I'm talking to right. no, Go ahead. Oh, let's right now on the gun issue, I would, I would zero in on that and use that to your advantage and say, Sheriff, you need to decide right now where you are on this line. You know, which side are you on? Are you with Captain Parker and his men? Or are you with the Redcoats? Like, that's your friggin' line right now. So, you know, right. before, general advice be give Sheriff Max book and give him time to think about it. But with this issue right now, if this is the time to choose. It's the time to choose who they shall serve. So use it. Use it to your advantage. Right. Now, I've talked to a lot of different folks uh, at Appleseed. I've had a lot of law enforcement come through. Uh, lots of FBI, DEA, ATF, lots of local folks. Uh, even uh, like in Texas, we've got the, the Department of Public Safety, you know, the Highway Patrol, the peace officers there. We have them come through. Now, a lot of them, on the first day, they they have, I don't know what, what you call it, a, like a, a citizen contempt, you know. They... They don't want you to be familiar with them because they're law enforcement officers and stuff like that. But by the second day, usually they they warm up and uh, and they're good to go. But I've talked to a lot of folks. Uh, like I said, even uh, quite a few FBI and and many of them have told me that they fully believe in what we're doing. They fully believe uh, in the Constitution, in the Second Amendment. Uh, but they'll also say, uh, like uh, one guy recently told me, uh, one of the FBI guys said that, says, oh, yeah, cause I, I completely believe in what you guys are doing. I'm behind it 100%. He said, now, my partner thinks that no no citizens, or he called them civilians, no civilians should be in possession of firearms. Because then he and I, you know, he and I argue in this quite a bit. But... You can see the folks the, the folks in law enforcement are no different than the rest of us. You know, everybody has different opinions and not all of the the folks in law enforcement are against are against the second amendment amendment, are against what we're talking about and what we're trying to do. Many of them are quite open to to folks and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure Stuart can, can say the same thing but I'm I'm imagine he's taken uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of oaths from law enforcement officers. Well, we should be clear about that. We don't we don't ask them to keep any oath except for the one they took in service. We, we don't have a new oath. Uh, right. To hold occasionally hold oath renewal ceremonies, and but that follows on the footsteps of the founding fathers to do the same thing. They, they would gather and renew their oaths, so that we're not we're not asking them to take a new one. It's just you know keep the one you already took. Right. Right, yeah, exactly. I, I was trying to tell the folks earlier that you guys aren't you guys aren't asking them to do anything different. 
you're just asking them to uphold the oath that they took when they entered into service or entered into their offices. And so that's all, all it is. So you know where the lines are. <laughs> you know, if you don't know what it says or what it means, how are you, you going to possibly defend it? You know, so. Right. Uh, Tim, do we have, uh, are you back yet? Do we have the, the phone lines back up again? And, uh, Stuart, I apologize to you for the No, no, no worry about it. Um, for the technical I want to you said a minute ago. Uh, you were talking about, you know, Appleseed's a good example. You know, as, as as the saying goes that Fred put out a long time ago, it's not about the weather, it's about changing the climate. And that's the same with the whole Liberty the whole liberty movement, whether it's a temperature. Scott, we're, Thomas we're back on the line here, if you'd like to get another caller. Yeah, let's do that. Let's bring another one on. Okay, this will be John. There. Okay, John. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Am I on? You are absolutely on. You've got a question that you wanted to uh, to ask, Mr. Rhodes? Well, I don't know that I have necessarily a question I want to ask Stuart, but I just kind of wanted to make some general statements. And number one is that, uh, you know, I applaud what the Oath Keepers are doing, and I think that people have to keep in mind that the number one killer of, well, the number one threat to human life is your own government and your own country, you know, historically. Certainly, you all probably know this the last century, at least, you know, conservatively, 196 million people were killed inside their own country by their own governments. And I think Absolutely. what's going on, I think what's going on in our country is just the natural progression of the disintegration of constitutions and governments. I think the reason this is happening is because of you know economic corruptions through the Federal Reserve, the central bank, which is basically one of the communist you know planks of the communist manifesto. And, uh, you know, I think also we have a corrupt media, so you shouldn't, I think anybody, if you watch your television, if you watch television or read the newspapers or read magazines, you're getting propagandized, in my opinion. I think everything that is basically poison, I think you should not take anything in from the mainstream media and go online and get your information from a more reliable source. Yeah, could agree more. Right. Yeah, just some basic statements. And also, I think, you know, every American should understand, uh, talking about the Constitution, you sh- you, fundamentally you have to understand Article One, Section 8, and what it means, and that it's, uh, you know, it lists what the federal government can do, and anything outside of that is left to the states. And that's so fundamental, as you all know, that so many people, you know, are completely ignorant of that. And I know that I know that's your mission, uh, you know, certainly Stuart's working on that and as as are you. But um, you know, I think reading the Declaration of Independence over the Constitution, uh, the Declaration of Independence is a pure, you know, pure document written by men who, you know, were philosophically pure, whereas the Constitution is not quite you know, not quite up to that. But um um and also one other one other point, you mentioned that you don't think there's really a conspiracy going on. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but I think people should also look at the uh, Bilderberg Group, YouTube that, and do a little research on that. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah I agree. He's, he's right. And and the big, you know, the big string pullers behind and above the, the politicians, the two parties, you know, you look back, further back behind them, and you'll see what's going on in the big picture, and that is is the the uh, systemic destruction of the United States. 
and economically, militarily, everything at every level. And it's been a, um, I think, a very methodical attempt to gut the strength of the American people in their states and to make us dependent upon the national government and, in particular, the uh, fiat money system. And then when they crash that, their answer is going to be, well, now you need a bigger, bigger Fed, a world Fed, and a world government, world military. So I think that's what's coming. So if you want to call that a conspiracy, go right ahead, because that's their plan. You know, they've already told us many times that they're going to replace the dollar um, as a world reserve currency. It's going, to, it's going to be replaced. It's going to be replaced with the special drawing rights from uh, from the IMF as an interim currency on the way to a world currency. They've already announced that. So that's what's coming. The only way to think one is, is to get out from underneath that false paradigm and get back to um, using your own you know, real money, sound money at your state level and local level. Amen. And one other thing we need to also be, you know, have our antenna up for is the trend towards a cashless society. That's a very dangerous trend. If they, you know, in Greece you're only allowed to spend, I think it knocked it down to 500 euros. Everything else has to be an electronic transaction. So right. we have to watch out for that too. That's a very dangerous thing. If they turn it into a cashless society, I think you can imagine the consequences of that. Yeah, it's very easy to control you, though. That's right. And, you know, just like the the, you know, the mark of the beast and only he who has the mark can buy or sell, it's a lot easier to do when you're, when you're a cash society. So once all on a card, you can be wiped out. You know, you're at the mercy of the people who control the the, uh, the banks. So don't do it. Yeah. Keep gold and silver in your pocket, you know, and, and other <laughs> precious metals like brass and, and, and lead. <laughs> right. Yes. Yep, we have Kathy from Sandy Hook back on the air again. I think she uh, wanted to ask a question. Okay, great. Uh, Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, Scout. How are you guys doing? Oh, it's been quite overwhelming, to say the least. To say I'm the sure least. that they have, they've, they've made it a huge circus there for you guys, haven't they? Well, the town is being very defensive and protective, so um, a lot of the panic is within rather than without. People are kind of leaving us alone now, you know, from the outside. Um, and there's definitely been a split, you know, because, I mean, there's definitely a huge gun grab disarmament crowd here, but it's really out of sheer emotion and trauma and I don't know if you saw the testimony from um, one of the uh, parents, uh, Mark Mattioli. Uh, he no, was the no, father. Yeah, he was the father of James Mattioli, who was one of the children killed. And he testified um, just I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before in Hartford uh, for the Newtown Task Force uh, thing they've been doing. You know where people are emotionally stating their their cause, and uh, he did a great great. Thing just about how it's not about guns, it's about the quality of parenting, it's about the, the civility of people and our ability to communicate rather than pieces of metal, you know, and he said, you could name a law after my child and I would not want it because we have enough laws, they're not being enforced. He did a, He did a great, it was very emotional, very, very emotional. Um, right. and I didn't see it on any of my local news. I watched all the local news tonight. Not one 
they, they showed one clip from that, and it was an EMT who also was uh, expressing his in, intelligent views. But what I want to ask specifically, because people keep talking about, quote, assault weapons, that's not even a legal definition, is it? I mean, that's more of an aesthetic term. Well, it's a misplaced term. And let me, real quick, let me uh, introduce you. Stuart, this, uh, Kathy is uh, one of the residents of Sandy Hook, and she called last week to talk to us about it. And I, I asked her to to keep calling to let us know, you know, what was going on there in the town and what they what the, the the folks were actually saying in the town and how they were responding to this and stuff and uh and and, and I'm an apple feeder. I am an apple feeder. Right. She's an apple feeder who who was not uh she wasn't happy about firearms because she didn't know anything about them until she went to an apple seed. And then now with the the skills uh and the instruction that she got there, she is no longer uh, fearful of firearms, and she's no longer uh, uh, her her position has changed. Uh, but to answer your question, I'll let Stuart answer it because I bet he gets this quite often, uh, and he's also a, a constitutional scholar, uh, just one of the many hats that he wears. Stuart, you well, wouldn't, I, you know, uh, I think I think I blanked. I think the the phone went out when I was when she was asking the question. Was okay, the okay, well, basically, when when you talk to anybody, the first thing out of their mouth is. We just have to ban these assault weapons. And the second thing out of my mouth is assault weapon is not a legal definition. It, it but, is well, a it's feeling. A, it, it actually it, is it, a legal it, definition. It's a, it's a, it's a creation of, of legislation. The term assault weapon it was only created by the assault weapons ban. <laughs> That's where it came from. Assault rifle is an actual military term for a select fire Rifle like an M16 or an M4, you know, the modern counterpart, or an AK-47. Right. It's capable of firing fully automatic, like a machine yeah, gun. Yeah, assault weapon is, is, is the creation out of Diane Feinstein's, you know, rear end, and she just pulled that out of her rear end and said, "This is the new demonized, demonizing, demonizing term." And what's an assault well, I can, weapon? I can understand military weapon. I can understand that, but to me, assault weapon, you can put a scary grip and a, some scary accoutrements on any gun. Right. And use it to assault somebody, and it's an assault weapon. It's, it's well, that's what they're, they're using, I mean, you know, and, and they say a military feature. What's a military feature? What, whatever she says, a barrel shroud or that thing on your shoulder that goes up or whatever, you know, whatever they make that is, 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 the, is the term or the, the, the criteria. And so it's just all it is is a, is a pejorative label to demonize something. So, you know, but frankly, we should have assault rifles. Every American should be able to have a select fire. How else are you going to fulfill your duties to be the militia? We should be running around with M4s and BARs and M60s and all the other things we would need. And, you know, as the earlier caller said, look at Article 1, Section 8. Where's the authority in that list of powers to even regulate firearms at the national level? It doesn't exist. You know, even before you get to the Second Amendment about preserving the military power of the people, the first point is that Congress has no authority. They did it first through the supposed tax power, because back in the 1920s and 30s, that was their way of expanding their power. They argued that they could tax something. And then they came up with the Commerce Clause power, and now they just do it under the Commerce Clause. You know, all of these gun um, regulations at the national level are under the supposed power of commerce, you know, possibly commerce. So they created a general police power out of thin air that doesn't exist. 
Hey, uh, is somebody uh, shoveling coal? Yeah, someone shoveling coal. Yeah, we got. A, there's a lot of background noise here. Somebody shoveling coal or or uh, or racking through brass or something. <laughs> there we go. It stopped now. Uh, we reloading on air. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's about the, uh, actually the people. And so when someone says, "Well, what do you?" You know, no one needs, no American needs, and you know, one of these rifles. No. That's exactly yeah, you don't need now. them until you need them, right? <laughs> well, like, the whole point of the Second Amendment is not just, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's there for, as a last resort against the government. Well, that's partially the, the meaning of it. But even more fundamentally is we're supposed to be the militia. We're supposed to be the military force inside the country. There should never be a standing army troop deployed inside the United States for any reason. It should be, you know, any domestic security measures like suppressing an insurrection, Executing the laws of the union, or, um, or defending your territory. What's that? You know, def- defending your your town. Well, like, well the, the Constitution tells you, Article One, Section Eight, talks about Congress having the power to call forth the militia to execute the laws of the union, suppress insurrections, or repel invasions. That is what you're supposed to be doing. They don't say anything about the standing army being being called forth to do that or, or used for that. It's supposed to be you as the militia. That's right. You're the security in your state under the command of your governor as the militia, unless you're called to federal service for one of those three purposes. But how do you do that? How do you repel an invasion? You have to be, you know, you have to have the equipment and 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 arms capable of repelling an invasion. That's how strong you're supposed to be. And that would include, until 1968, you could have anti-tank rockets and 20-millimeter cannons, you know, and, 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 and recoilless rifles. And that, was, that was all unregulated until 68. Most Americans have no clue about that. You could have a friggin' mortar until 1968. That's when they... Well, that's when they well definitely, I, I would like to say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but I would just like to say, again, on your show, as you're using your platform here, that uh, people in this area are quite savvy about um, the reason, you know, behind uh, owning an arm, a weapon. uh, People are armed here. They are. It's not the proper time. I mean, I used to wear a lot of shirts, you know, oh, uh, you know, uh, slaves don't have guns, free people do. You know, I'm not wearing those because it's incredibly tense and disrespectful at this point. And there's not a lot of people out in the street saying, yeah, guns, but at the same time, there's a real rift going on because a lot of the groups that have formed here have split. Um, you know, Sandy well, Do they? Do you guys? They, I'm sure they all know that they're that they're that folks are trying to use them, right? Yes, half the people. The other half of the people really aren't doing anything malicious. They're just so incredibly traumatized and really believe because the East Coast, Connecticut area is not a a culturally gun, uh, you know, as far as, it's weird because on, on the underground, you know, when you, I, I'm talking to people now I've known and they tell me what they own and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I would have never guessed. I've met people that own all sorts of crazy things here and it's very inspiring um, but it's not necessarily, uh, you know, there's no range here that has more than, I think, a 100-yard, there's a couple, like, 100-yard ranges. You know, it's a All very right, small listen, state. We're a very tiny let me, state. Let me break in for just a second and say that uh, we're about to lose our uh, our live listeners in just a second. But 
I want to continue on. I want to let you guys uh, let you all finish your discussion, and then uh, I've asked uh, Sam that if there are still callers, we want to stay on and, and take those callers. You you won't be able to hear us uh, live, but uh, you'll be able to listen to it in the archives. All right. So I want to say good night to the guys that uh, are listening right now, and uh, and you can catch the rest of it in the archives. Say a prayer right, for so, Sandy Hook people, please. Say a prayer for us. Okay, and uh, and finish uh, finish telling me you said that the town is divided and that, uh, and yeah, that basically people understand. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know this from being in the room with these people, but basically a lot of the groups that formed initially um, to decide what to do about the situation, as they put it, uh, a lot of it, you know, came out initially as being a lot of anti-gun stuff, you know, solely, and a lot of the people uh, kind of split. So, like Sandy Hook Promise, I think, is one of the more, you know, take the guns away kind of thing. But same thing, I don't, I don't think these people, I don't know who's might be leading them or helping them or whatever. But, but the, the, I mean, I can totally understand where they're coming from. A hundred percent. I don't agree with them, but I understand where they're coming from because of the, I mean, it's an unspeakable trauma. I mean, I don't even, I still can can hardly process it, you know. It's really that intense. But I think that just now, uh, especially after the the hearing in Hartford, you really have to look up um, Mattioli, Mark Mattioli's testimony it was really great because he is the first one, the first uh, parent to go on on camera doing that. And that's what I've been waiting for. I, I want to see the other side, you know, because I, I made a sticker a while ago that said, keep your guns. And I want to put that on my car right now, but I'm scared to death to drive around Sandy Hook in Newtown with that sticker on my car, you know? What do you think, what do you uh, think would happen to you? Honestly, I don't know. I think that uh, because there's a lot, the, the police are a little defensive. Um, I mean, I, I've been harassed. Uh, you know, like, I'm not a out-of-town weirdo. I'm an in-town weirdo, you know? Uh, you know, I've been forced to get on the highway and forced to, you know, like, I live here, you know, and it's like, they don't want to hear it. It's just you're subject to the the moment. When you, say, when you say you've been forced to get on the highway, what do you mean? Oh, because they, they just wantonly close the roads. Uh, not so much anymore because things have died down, but initially they would just close the roads down. And it's like, you know, I would spend like 40 minutes trying to get on a five-minute path home. And you'd get somewhere and somebody would say, oh, you, oh, just, you know, go down this way and go up Walnut Hill, Tree Hill, and, you know, they'll let you go that way. You go that way, they're like, get on the highway. And it's like, well, I'm just trying to get home. Get on the highway. You know, that kind of stuff. Where it's just, right. you know, you're just random. It's not personal. You well, know, have, you, but, have you been listening to the show? Have you been listening um, to the honestly, show? Honestly, no, my, my schedule hasn't permitted, my, my schedule has not permitted it. And no, I, I just, I just mean tonight. Have you been listening to Stuart Rhodes yes. talk tonight? Well, yes. then I think that, uh, the best thing you can do is go to the, go to the website, go to the Oath Keepers website, read what they have there. And well, then, I've been there. And then politely, I've been, I've... politely take that stuff and you can also go to the, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, 
and get that information and, and politely give it to your your local police and your sheriffs. I mean, you don't have well, to, you know, that, you know that we don't have sheriffs here in Connecticut. Yeah, I know that they 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 closed it down so that you couldn't have a sheriff. What do you what do you yeah. have to say about that, uh, Stuart? What's that? About the Connecticut has no more sheriffs. <laughs> well, I think, they, they I got think rid of all the sheriffs. To have a an elected sheriff. I think it's critical because a sheriff, as we as we've seen now across the country, is they're not under the thumb of the local legislature. It's it's critically important for them to be independent. And I know they're trying to, to gut the sheriff's power in in, in New England, uh, even outside of Connecticut, in Delaware, for example. They're trying to take away the power of the sheriff, and so you know this this is a this is a struggle. They would like the sheriff to be under the under the thumb of career politicians, and so we should definitely uh, wherever you do have sheriffs left, help them preserve their power, their independence. How many of the states besides us don't have a sheriff? Well, you um, can take the good question. I'm really not sure, but I know that you know. Like I said, there's there's an attempt in Delaware right now by uh, I think it's I think it's Biden's son is the Attorney General in Delaware. He's trying <laughs> Bo? to get star. <laughs> Bo Biden, yeah. Right, yeah, He's that's a good. Do you know how they got rid of the sheriffs here? And I'm not even kidding. For about one month on the news, they kept showing this one. Um, black man who was a sheriff in some town, I don't know which town, and they kept saying he used his car to go visit his wife. And that was it. They kept saying that, and it was like, do you want sheriffs? And everybody's like, no. And everybody I know that even votes, like, actually voted to keep the sheriff, and they still got rid of him, so. Hmm. Well, listen, Sandy, I want to appreciate you calling in and and keeping us advised of what's going on. Be sure and... uh, be sure and call again. Give us a call again next week if you can, and uh, let us know I, how I will try. I will try. My schedule's kind of kooky, but um, I do want to keep in touch because I like you guys. I like your um, message. All right. Sure. Well, well, thank you very much, and Stuart. I really appreciate uh, you coming on tonight. We got uh, we had a lot of technical difficulties and stuff, but uh, but I think you still got the message out. Would you be willing to come on back, come back on again in a uh, in a few months? And uh, absolutely, in any any time. In fact, let's do it in a few weeks. So, um, okay, I'll be going. Well, I, to, I'd love that. We're doing a rally in Albany. I'll be speaking there, and and um, we'll be doing a public shaming of some of the Oathbreakers in New York. That'll be the whole focus. So it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. So if you want, check that out. Really, right on. That's that's going to be pretty amazing. What do you guys have planned? Where, how are you going to do this? Tell you. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Well, you can tell me after it happens. So, so okay. we'll be sure and we'll be sure and contact you because I'd love to see how that happens. Because once you do it and be uh, it's effective, then uh, then we'll be it'll be one more tool that we'll have, uh, you know, to work in our favor. Uh, all right. So you'll be coming back on in uh, in a few weeks or a couple of months, and and you'll let us know how that's going. Thanks again for coming on tonight. I really appreciate uh, what you do, Stuart, and the work that you've been doing, and I think it's having a tremendous effect on the nation. And uh, and I'm really happy, really proud of what you're doing. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Right on. All right. Well, guys, that's going to be it uh, until next week. i got no music to play out on because i got no switchboard. But uh, I want to tell you guys uh, thanks for listening. And uh, you can listen uh, to the rest of the show in the archives. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you.
thanks again for showing up, and uh, good night to you, and good night to uh, all of our listeners. Adios. Yeah.